Welcome to the Sarah Centrella Show. Join best-selling author, master life coach, and manifesting expert Sarah Centrella as she shares tips, tools, and inspiring interviews to help you create your dream life. It's time to hustle and thrive. Now, here's your host, Sarah Centrella. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. I have a different show planned for you uh, tonight. This is something that I have actually never um, publicly really talked about, but a lot of what I'm sharing on this show is stories of people who inspire me, and I'm asking them to share their backstory, share uh, how they got where they are, and how can I do that if I haven't fully shared my backstory? Um, of course, there's a story that most of you who follow me know because it's uh, written in both of my books, but there's a big story that happened long before that uh, rock bottom moment. And it's something that I have been um, writing about for many years. I I started writing my memoir actually probably 10 years ago, uh, my childhood memoir, and I've rewritten it now, oh my God, maybe the seventh time. It's, it is just this endless work in progress. Um, you know, and it's been through a lot of iterations because my childhood was unconventional to say the least. And I think in both of my books, I kind of hint at um, how different it was in so many ways and how difficult. Um, most of you know that I grew up very poor. Um, but what I want to share tonight is something that I haven't ever really talked about. So I haven't, uh, aside from writing it in my memoir, um, I've never succinctly really talked about my childhood or my upbringing before now. But I think it's important because it, you know, it leads to so much of what I do now and so much of what I've been through in my life um, has really made me a, a coach, a life coach that can um, relate to just about anybody. I always say I have had at least nine lives and, and I absolutely feel like that's true. Um, and so that's what I wanted to just open up with you guys a little bit and tell you a little bit more, um, about my story. So really for me, uh, it started, gosh, you know, first memory five years old and, um, my family is is frantically like packing up our little cabin that we had um, been living in in the northern California woods. Uh, my dad had been doing odd jobs. Um, we had moved to this tiny little. It was almost um, I think it was actually a gold rush um, abandoned kind of gold rush town, um, and my parents had had wanted to get us. I guess off the grid because my mom was always really looking for her place in this world. I think you know um, she had kind of experimented with with drugs and uh, with alcohol and um, you know she had taught herself to read at twenty seven years old. 
Um, so she had had a really, really rough go of it by the time I came into the picture. Um, but I think when she met my dad, they were really kind of searching for, um, meaning for their place in this world, for, uh, belonging for something to believe in, I think. And so, uh, they had found a a community, a religious kind of offshoot community, and we had moved up to this kind of remote little, little cabin town. Um, and my older brother and sister, uh, my mom's children from a previous marriage, were living with us at the time. And my little brother, who I'd watched be born in um, my mom's bed, my dad delivered uh, him in the middle of the night with no medical staff, no uh, ambulance, no hospital, no trip to the hospital afterwards. Uh, just, no, just my mom screaming in her bed, uh, having my brother. So, uh, yeah, my first memory is kind of like all of us scrambling, packing in the middle of the night, uh, to leave and drive to Idaho. Um, and that just kind of starts off how a lot of my upbringing was. It it was a lot of, oh my God, we got to do this. We got to leave. We got to, um, you know, run from this church kind of cult situation to something else. Um, I never really knew as a child kind of what was going on or why we were um, always kind of fleeing in the middle of the night as it seemed to be. It was, you know, it was, it was scary, I think, as a child to have um, your life be uprooted kind of constantly in that way. And, and that move actually led to us being homeless for three years. And so, um, at the time my mom was pregnant with my little sister and we went to, to Idaho and didn't have a place to go. My dad didn't have a job. Uh, we wound up having to put all of our stuff in storage and just squatting. We squatted in um, a couple different, we squatted in an abandoned farmhouse until we got kicked out. We stayed in a shepherd's trailer in the middle of, uh, a field. We kind of, we stayed in our car for a little bit. Um, my little sister was actually born in an abandoned nursing home. Again, had to watch that. Um, it was, we were just having breakfast and all of a sudden my mom is in labor having having my little sister so uh yeah there's there's a lot (laughs) that went on um in my early childhood which these are the stories that I've been um working and you know trying to articulate like I said I have never talked about any of this stuff um really before it's not anything that I am ashamed of or I'm afraid to talk about it's really something that I was hoping I could articulate well in the book and, um, and bring it to the world in that way. But considering it's taking me 10 years to write this book, um, I feel like it's something that, that I do need to talk about now because there's so many, uh, people that I have met who've been through all kinds of adversity. And, you know, this is, this is part of my story 
um, that I think, I mean, my childhood was just so strange in a lot of ways that it just seemed like kind of too much uh, to even bring to the forefront. Um, because after those three years of homelessness, um, you know, my family, we did everything from stay in a little 15 foot trailer on abandoned land to, um, camping in campsites until we were kicked out to creating our own campsites in the middle of the forest, real homeless, real homelessness, um, and, you know, I think I watched my dad hustle. My dad worked around the clock, pretty much. He would take any job, anything that would pay. I mean, he would spend day and night cutting cords of wood. And then, you know, we would go sit in the truck on the side of the road and try to try to sell the wood. Sometimes it would take two days to sell a cord of wood. And that would be our food um, for a couple weeks or whatever. And so I always saw him work so hard. He was always so tired, um, just doing anything and everything to try and put food on the table for us. And so, you know, for me, a lot of the stuff that I've been working through as an adult is kind of getting past the idea that money is hard, you know, that it takes that kind of hard work to to get it. But in the end, he never really got it. I mean, we always, always struggled. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that though my parents chose this life and they did choose it, um, they really believe that kind of living off the grid and, um, you know, we were, I was raised organic way before organic was cool. I was raised vegan way before anyone ever thought vegan was cool. Um, we pretty much just ate the food that we grew on our land once we finally did uh, find a place to stay for a longer period of time when I was about nine years old. Um, and, and we stayed on that land for seven years. So that was kind of the longest, actually the longest place I've ever lived in my entire life um, was a place called Deadwood, which is where we landed after our three years of homelessness. Um, and I think for me, as I was growing up and realizing kind of where they came from, I mean, my dad came from a very well-established middle-class um, family from the Bay Area who, you know, his mom had gone to college when no one in her generation, I mean, she's World, World War II generation, you know, women didn't really go to college then. So he comes from a really educated a family with very successful siblings and then to kind of see the life that he chose and how hard he worked for just pennies, you know, and, um, and kind of the immense sadness, I think that, that he always felt from never feeling like he was able to kind of provide for us really created in me a lot of the hustle that I've talked about so much uh, and practiced my whole life. Uh, I've often said that I feel like I was born with it and I really do. I mean, it's just what I witnessed and, you know, what I personally started being part of from the age of about seven when I, I was figuring out how to 
make things to sell and going door to door and trying to make a dollar here and a dollar there, uh, you know, because I, I could see how stressful life was uh, for my parents. And I did not want that. I didn't want that life. I wanted uh, something more. And I think, you know, as, as I got a little bit older, uh, when we moved to the to the land in Deadwood, there was nothing there. I mean, we lived for the first, oh God, six, seven months in a barn that only had three sides, <laughs> literally had three sides. We had to put uh, sleeping bags and tarps up on the third side to, to wall it off in the winter. Um, and no electricity, you know, no running water, no nothing. And that was really my life until I was about 13 when we finally got a phone, we finally got electricity, got running water. Um, and through all that time, I, you know, my parents technically said that we were homeschooled, but we weren't, there was no schooling happening, um, at all during that time. They were very, very religious, um, very kind of prone to different offshoot cults, honestly, uh, that we were kind of always going to meetings for or going to camp meetings for things like that. Um, because again, I think my mom was just always really searching for her place, her place to belong, um, her place to feel connection. And, you know, unfortunately she would never really find that initially, um, it would be there and then it just would always turn really ugly. And, you know, so for, for me, it was tough because in each of those situations, you would make friends, you would kind of build community. Um, and those were kind of my only interactions with people my own age, uh, was through those experiences. And so, you know, it was, it was tough in that as I started to, you know, grow up a little bit more. I think when I was about 13 is when I really realized like, Hey, there is a world out there that doesn't look like this. And I am so underprepared for it. I think I, I was really, as soon as I started kind of realizing that I was supposed to have been in school all this time or supposed to have been learning, I became really self-conscious of the fact that I couldn't read. So I was kind of trying to teach myself to read, uh, read the Bible. Cause that was pretty much all we had access to, um, a couple other books, but really the Bible was it. Uh, and a lot of that I could do through memory or through song or through other things. And I think at, at about 13 is when I really realized, okay, this is, this is a problem. And this, and other kids, you know, started finding out that I couldn't read. And, um, when I was, should have been in eighth grade is the time in my life where I finally kind of convinced my parents to let me, uh, go to school. And so our, our little tiny church had a one room school situation <laughs> in it where kindergarten through eighth grade was in the same room. And I think there was maybe 20 students total from kindergarten to eighth grade. 
And because I had never been in school, the teacher had no idea kind of what to do with me or where to start me out. She definitely knew I was not at eighth grade level in anything. And so humiliating as it was, I was actually like placed with the first graders at the beginning of the school year. And yes, here I am, a giant eighth grader sitting at the table with all the little first graders. And I had to do their curriculum and then test out of their curriculum. And then she would move me to the second graders table and do the same thing. So the whole year I spent literally like moving my little desk around this tiny little room until about a month before eighth grade graduation, where I actually got to sit with the other three eighth graders and test out of the eighth grade in order to graduate eighth grade. So I pretty much had my entire first through eighth grade learning experience that year. And it was, I want to say super traumatic, to be honest. Um, All of the kids made fun of me. I'm talking the first graders made fun of me. Um, There was actually a nickname for me that no one would tell me what it meant. And so the entire year, everybody called me DOA, and I had no idea what it was. And they had kind of made a pact that they would tell me on graduation. So here I am all year having to deal with, hey, DOA, DOA. And on graduation, this kid, Zach, who is the one who started it, who used to make fun of me all the time, finally tells me that it means dead on arrival or brain dead on arrival is BDOA. And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right. So all year long, everyone has been like, she's brain dead. She can't even do this. So, you know, if if you have been following me for a while, you know that every now and then on social media, I will... I don't want to say lash out, but I will I will silence the haters when it comes to my spelling and grammar because this is shit I've dealt with my entire life. And you know, it it is what it is. I think for a long time I I let it terrorize me. Um I was mortified to ever have to spell anything in front of a group, to ever have to read in front of a group. Just horrified. Like have a complete anxiety attack and I was constantly being corrected by everyone all the time and then I think you know when I hit my 30s and I started writing my blog I just had to kind of own it and just had to say listen if if I let that stop me I would never write a sentence (laughs) let alone a blog let alone a book and I did get a lot of shit I still do get a lot of shit to this day all the time but I've had to just, in my own space and in my own mind, completely move past it and, and understand that it is, you know, part of who I am. It's, at this point, not something that is going to change. Um, and I think, regardless of all that, I'm still proud that I can do any of the stuff that I do because... It was so difficult to learn. So my freshman year of high school, um, my parents didn't want me to go to public school, obviously, but I convinced them to send me away to boarding school. Um, And I sent away for all the paperwork and I got myself a scholarship 
and went away um, about five hours away from where my parents live. First time I'd ever been away from home. And here I was, a freshman in high school, expected to do, you know, algebra and statistics and geometry and all the other things that all the other freshmen were doing when the year before I was still learning what division meant and, you know, what subtraction was. So it was, it was an incredibly surreal experience. And, and because I was starting all new at a brand new school where nobody knew me, teachers didn't know me, like no one knew what my backstory was, I had to just assimilate. I had to figure it out. And I think that really became core of my personality. And in a lot of ways, um, is responsible for my success because of the fact that in that kind of first dramatic situation, I had to just figure, like, look around me and figure out what the rules were and then figure out how to step into them. <laughs> and, you know, the term fake it till you make it comes into play here for sure because, you know, I had no idea. But I think people were always so shocked from that point on in my life, um, from the time I was 14 to now, probably, uh, people who are hearing this are, are going to say the same thing. Um, people were always shocked whenever they would hear kind of even little tidbit, tidbits of my background. And to me, honestly, that was always a huge compliment. I was like, if you never guessed that, that I've been through this stuff, then I'm doing good then I've done a good job at assimilating, then I've done a good job of um, just like stepping right in and, and taking it and running with it. Uh, and so, I don't know, that was always, I remember the very first time someone ever said that to me, my freshman year of high school, um, you know, I had made a comment or something. I, I be, definitely in high school became the, the one that everyone would laugh at because Mind you, my parents were super strict. I grew up without TV, without telephone, without outside books, without any of this stuff. Uh, and I remember one night I was in the girls' dorm and we were all just kind of chit-chatting and, and someone made the comment, oh, I, I love Paula Abdul. And they were playing Paula Abdul. And I was like, who is he? I, I thought they had said like Paul Abdul or something. And they all just looked at me like I was insane. But I literally had never heard of Madonna. Mind you, she was like queen of the world at that point. And so I went through a period, probably from the time I was 14 to the time I was about 25, where I was just learning all this pop culture stuff. Pretty much anything that anyone else had been had grown up with, I was learning it through bits and pieces of conversation. Not because I had ever watched the Brady Bunch or... I didn't know who Michael Jackson was, any of that stuff. So I, I became very skilled at hearing something and then running it through my brain really quick for reference points and kind of figuring out via context um, what it was and what it meant and then just moving on from there. And I think that skill um, has, has come in handy many times in my life. And it's certainly something that I leaned on probably without even really knowing it when I had my rock bottom moment when my husband left is that ability to 
survive and adapt kind of regardless of the situation just kicked in. It was just kind of second nature for me. And right now, as I record this, uh, I'm going into week six of home confinement with COVID. And I know when the, when COVID first started, I kept on thinking like, why am I not more, I guess, scared or paranoid or whatever, you know, because everything was changing so quickly. And that was definitely how most people felt. And I kind of felt like, what's wrong with me? Like, why don't I feel that? I feel pretty calm. And it took me a little while to realize the reason why I don't is because this is literally just another one of those situations where I've had to um, adapt, figure it out and move on. And so though my childhood was certainly unconventional uh, and and difficult, um, it absolutely taught me a lot of those skills that have got me where I am and, and many of the skills that I teach, um, you know, how to create, create hustle, how to, um, imagine a better life, one that doesn't exist because that was a skill I used as a child. I mean, when I lived in Deadwood and we are, you know, we're living in the barn with no wall, I was constantly daydreaming and, I don't even know kind of where the reference points for these daydreams came from because I had so little outside um, exposure, but I wanted to be a singer back then. That was kind of the only outside exposure that I had. Uh, Amy Grant was my idol back in the day because, of course, we could only listen to Christian music. So um, she was really, I knew of like four Christian singers and that was pretty much it. And Amy Grant was, was the thing. And so... I just built a whole fantasy world in my head about honestly what it would be like to be Amy Grant because that was the only thing I knew. And it was crazy because I would imagine myself on stage, I would practice, you know, I would sing, I would like um, buy the buy the little tape that you can sing to or whatever and I would journal about it, I would do all this stuff and just live it in my mind and I think the craziest part of all that is that's the exact sensation I have when I get out on stage and I do a keynote. It's the exact same dream. It's just a different, I guess, outlet. Uh, but those dreams and that ability to slip into a daydream and to create a life that did not exist is something that saved me then. It saved me when, you know, my ex-husband left and it's something that I rely on now to build my future life and of course now it's something obviously that I teach um, is one of the core uh, principles that I teach right now is is how to visualize which is see it um, one of the eight steps in in hustle believe receive um, so that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to just come on tonight as I record this. It's two o'clock in the morning and I don't know. I was just called to to share it. I know it was probably a little bit all over the place, but bear with me. It was the first time getting any of this out, <laughs> verbalizing any of it. So y'all are the first to hear it. It's, it's all coming in the memoir, um, which will come out. I absolutely have all the faith in the world. 
Um, and I have many, many stories, including like how my parents met, which is an insane story in itself. Um, and a lot that I want to share, but, but I did want to open up about kind of what some of my childhood was like and, and what I've been through in those years, because I know I've alluded to it and because it's something that I'm asking all of my guests about, because I am so curious as to where people start and kind of what influences them and how they are shaped. And so how could I do that to my guests if I wasn't willing to do it myself and open up myself? So guys, I hope you got a little little peek into <clears throat> some of what will be coming uh, when I ever get this thing <laughs> finished, written. But as you can see, there there's a lot to tackle there. It's And as a writer, it's such a different type of writing than my other two books because it's narrative writing. And so, um, you know, and, and it's obviously deeply personal, but it's a story that I feel does need to be told. Um, I think it's one that there are people out there who can relate to maybe, you know, any part of it and will hopefully get inspiration um, and empowerment from it because, you know, if I could be a kid that grew up homeless, eating out of trash cans, that's how we got most of our food those three years that we were homeless, or gleaning in orchards for food, canning my food, you know, uh, teaching myself to read, and then to become a best-selling author of two books, then literally anything is possible for anyone. And that's all I've ever wanted to prove these last 10 years is to prove that anybody with a dream can make it happen, that anything really is possible. If you are willing to give hope a chance, if you're willing to give possibility a chance, and then if you're willing to start working towards it, start figuring it out, start, just start, get out there, assimilate, do whatever you got to do, figure it out, because that is how you move forward. That's how you start to live your dreams. That's how you start to create a new reality. And of course, visualization is absolutely everything. Start creating the life you want to live in your mind first. Do it now. Do it today. Spend as much time on it as you possibly can. Find all the ways to grow those dreams, to add inspiration. Um, that's why I use Pinterest. That's why I uh, watch specific shows on TV. It's why I listen to uh, specific audios or books or things like that so that I'm constantly growing the visuals in my mind so that my dreams can grow. Because the more you do that and the more energy you put into that, the faster you're going to live your dreams. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We really can create any future that we want for ourselves. I am proof. I am living proof. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being here with me today. And don't forget to hustle and also, of course, to thrive. And if this episode or any of the other episodes have spoken to you, then I'm asking you shamelessly to share the love, uh, to subscribe to the podcast, to tell your friends. A big help is if you comment on the posts about the podcast on my Instagram feed, that's a huge help. Um, and 
yeah, let's get out there and change the world. Let's inspire. Let's inspire and let's get change. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you got value from today's show, please spread the love by clicking subscribe, leaving a stellar review, and telling everyone you know. And join us next time on The Sarah Centrella Show.